science. Listening to uh, Love on Science on VCFM 93.2 FM, and uh, I'm Malcolm Love, and with, as usual, uh, Andrew Glester. But we are not, we, we've got used to being three of us, haven't we? Have. we? And uh, there's no Hannah Bestwick this week, I'm afraid, that uh, Hannah has gone on to better, bigger pastures. Are there other better things than this? Well, there aren't, but, you know, she couldn't be persuaded. And uh, (laughs) she's gone to London. What do you you think we should do? Should we just stick the two of us or should we find someone else? I think we should find someone else. Yeah, I think think we should. Um, I don't think I could stand a whole hour uh, just with you. (laughs) <laughs> I can think of nothing I'd like more than to spend an hour chatting about science with you. Oh, 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 I know, I know. And I was just, I was just <laughs> jossing. Are you, a, are you a sports fan? Um, I, I am relatively a sports fan. Yes. When I was a younger man, I was much more into sport than I yeah, am yeah, today. Yeah, but yeah. I'm thoroughly enjoying the World Cup. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> of course, Wimbledon starts today. You, Indeed. Do you like a bit of sport? We've never bit talked of, about uh, sport. No, we you? haven't. No, no. A, l- a little bit of sport. I'm, I'm, I'm not the world best spectator right. I, I i think i don't have the spectator gene okay do you um, cause too much trouble when you're watching <laughs> i could cause too much throwing trouble. chairs but there's something i find incredibly uh relaxing and engaging about tennis oh yes in particular mm. so um i do i do always look forward uh, especially the second week yeah of, of wimbledon i was yeah. disappointed to see uh, andy murray pulling out cause I like yeah indeed him. he's uh, he has an injury doesn't yeah. he so uh, he's just he's just not going to be ready i think uh, I think he says, and um, also uh, there's a well. We've got today big match Mexico and Mexico uh, and Brazil. Mexico and Brazil. That's yeah. very important. Federer apparently's just beaten somebody. Oh, is that? I'm yes. talking tennis. Sorry, I got excited. Oh yeah, no, oh, jumping backwards and forwards yeah, yeah. all over the place. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, Federer well, won in the first round. There's a shock. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. I wonder who's going to be there next. The end of next next week be very very interesting anyway our job is to talk about science and since although uh, I'm, I'm sure i could get andrew going on the on the world cup <laughs> unless it's the science of the world cup yeah. we're not we're not going there not this week anyway um and the first story that we've got in in um uh, looking at uh, science news is it's all about uh, crows and the intelligence of crows. Now, we've talked about crows on the programme before. They belong to um, a family of birds called corvids. So they, they include uh, birds like uh, magpies and rooks and things like that. And, and they're famous for their intelligence. Uh, in fact, there's uh, lovely stories around about how uh, crows sometimes uh, appear anyway to barter and they will um, bring gifts in return for food and that sort of thing. Gifts being shiny things, usually, that they, <laughs> that they find, whether you want them or not. Um, and um, are in New Caledonia, which is a little island in the um, South uh, Pacific, um, they've been studying crows. And what, what they do is get the crows uh, in a, a sort of a temporary pen. So they, they, they catch them very carefully. Uh, they try and stress them as little as possible. Uh, they're fed, they're kept in a temporary pen. And they wanted to study a little bit more. The scientists working on them wanted to study a little bit more. Uh, the person uh, who's, who's right up we're looking at is called Sarah Gelbert, Dr. Sarah Gelbert from Cambridge. And um, 
what what they do is they give the crows uh, puzzles, and in order to help this process. Uh, you'll never guess what they've done, Andrew, unless you've read the story. Um, I haven't read the story, but I've watched the video. Ah, right. So you've seen the vending machine. I have. It's incredible. It is. So they've designed a vending machine for the for the crows, and um, they got them to take an interest in the vending machine by putting grubs and juicy bits of uh, meat that would tantalise a crow um, uh, uh, on the vending machine near, near the slot. And that would release a stone or, in some cases, a card... Uh, as the as the crow kind of moved things around, and it discovered the crow would have discovered that if you drop something into this slot, food comes out. Mm. So there you go. So now you've got the crow interested. Mm. The next bit of the problem was to see whether a crow could figure out that only a certain, say, for example, size of card would work, and and they did. They realised that. So now here's the amazing thing. When they gave them... They, first of all, they didn't let them watch other crows. They had to solve these problems on their right. own. And they gave them a, a piece of card, but it was a sort of random size, but bigger than the piece of card that they needed. In other words, they had to make effective their own ticket, their yeah. own punch card yeah. for the vending machine. And they did it. They wow. did it from memory, they did it precisely, and they made the vending machine work. Wow. And um, it apparently has taught us a, 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 yeah, a great deal about these amazing creatures. It really is incredible, isn't it? I, I was watching the video, and as you say, there's a crow putting, um, selecting pieces of card which are the right size to put in it, which are yeah. lying on the ground. Then, it's, uh, it, as you say, picks up a large piece of card because there's none the right size left. Yeah. So it takes a large piece of card and rips it to the right size. Yes, which and it does by memory. Yeah, yes. and then slots it into, the, uh, as you say, a slot machine, essentially, yes. yeah. and out comes a suite. And it's, yeah. it's just brilliant. Yeah, it oh, is, so. it is. And what they're saying is um, that one of the things it does is challenge our understanding of intelligence because we, we tend to think that... In, we are because we are intelligent. Everything that is intelligent in some way is intelligent in the same way that we are. Um, I've put that rather clumsily, but 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 basically, for example, we learn from our parents. We 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 learn from other. We watch what people do. We learn from other people uh, different skills and things, and we try and copy. Crows apparently don't do that. Um, they've got. They've seen examples of crows stealing tools from other crows. Um, but what they tend to do is figure out how to use the tool. Mm. So they're, they're not watching how the tool is used by another crow. Mm. They themselves do the problem solving. So one of the uh, exciting thoughts is that crows have evolved intelligence in a very different way from we have they've mm. developed their intelligence in a very different way from us and they learn differently from us however they are clearly quite intelligent and just how intelligent we we've we've yet to find out yeah it's fascinating isn't it it's obviously i'm always thinking about life on other planets yeah and if, if intelligence has evolved in different ways on this planet yeah how many different ways in, in yes. the universe has yeah. evolved is I, I, absolutely. I, I com completely agree. Uh, and, and uh, of course, it's so easy to think that what works, what, what is true for us yeah. is true for everything else. So yes. whether it's, you know, how life develops or how, how uh, intelligence evolves and, and, and so on. So it's all, it's all fascinating stuff. It's funny because I don't, I, I, you know, I'm a bit of a Douglas Allen 
um, Douglas Adams. Uh, Douglas right? Allen. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he is. Oh, he's the guy who does um, uh, cold weather photography for the BBC. Um, oh, yeah, right. D- Douglas Adams fan, right? I've yes, just turned yes. 42. So, Hitchhiker's I, Guide, of the yeah. Guide to the Galaxy. I like to yeah. think uh, about dolphins being intelligent. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah. I don't really think of crows being intelligent and now i'm going to yeah and under no circumstances am i going to stone the crows <laughs> i saw what you did there um the, I, I i saw another film which is not related to this story which oh, yeah. was really interesting about crows where as a bbc documentary um a little while ago and what it what it showed was something uh, absolutely fascinating there was there was um, a bottle which was configured in such a way that um, it was just extremely awkward for the for the crow to get something out of it, and it had to hold the bottle upside down in a certain way and let some water out, and then this whatever it, I don't know some kind of treat for the crow was inside. Mm. So it, they showed it playing with this bottle. It was knocking it about and picking it out and looking at it from different angles and everything. Then it flew away. Yeah. And um, they kept filming, and about half an hour later it came back and exa- did exactly what it needed to do in order to get the treat out. Really? And what, what the commentator was saying is, what this demonstrates is crows go away and think about stuff. Mm. So he was sitting in a tree somewhere going, right, if I do this, then this, then this, then I'll, then I'll get the treat. Yeah. And once he cracked it in his mind, yeah. this is the inference anyway. If yeah. it, once he cracked it in his mind, um, that's awesome. You know, that incredible. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to think about that when I see crows sitting in the trees. I'm going to think about what they're thinking about. Exactly, and they're thinking about you. <laughs> whether whether they can get that treat off of you, yeah. like seagulls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, do they like iced coffee? It's <laughs> probably the only treat I have. <laughs> Um, you are uh, doubtless going to be over this story. You'll you, you remember, we will remember, of course, um, towards the end of last year, this strange thing came into our solar system, shaped like an, a, a very large cigar, enorm- <laughs> enormous thing. Um, it was touted as an asteroid, mm. and um, it was just a, a long, thin asteroid. And the first thing about it which is absolutely extraordinary to note is that it hadn't its trajectory implied that it had not come from our solar system yeah and as far as we know it's the first visitor isn't it uh, that we've docu i mean it's not the first visitor from another solar system but it's mm. the first one we documented yes flying towards us through the solar system yes and I, I believe it's gone, long gone now. It has. It's, it's nipped into our solar system and nipped out the other side again. So why is it in the news now? Well, again? as you say, it was believed that it was an asteroid. Um, an asteroid being a large piece of rock. And, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things um, that made them think it was that, rather than a comet, was because as it approached the sun, there was no tail coming out of it and as a comet which is made of ice and rock excuse me um approaches the sun <clears throat> excuse me i had exactly this problem okay. last week. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um as it approaches the sun <laughs> cough away my friend don't worry <laughs> uh the the um ice sublimates into space right yeah and that's what we see is this uh, f- fantastic tail that we see on comets it's yeah. caused by that umuamua this yeah. interstellar yes um 
Which I believe is Hawaiian for scout. Uh, yes. If I my Hawaiian so. serves me correctly. I, yes, yes. <laughs> or I could have just looked it up. Yeah. Which I did. Yes. Um, it, it, it didn't have one of those tails, but um, as it approached the sun, it behaved in a peculiar way for an asteroid. Yeah. The way that it sped up suggested something. Scientists have looked into it, and what it suggested, and in fact what we discovered, is that it's highly likely that it was actually behaving like a comet as it approached the sun, because that um, action of sublimation will cause, and the, the heat from the sun will cause it to change its trajectory more if it's a comet than if it's an asteroid. Ah, uh, right. And it does indeed do that. So the thinking is that it is almost certainly a comet type thing rather than an asteroid and that's interesting because um when it's still come from another solar system yeah we know that um when a a solar system is forming um, comets tend to form towards the outside of the uh accretion disk which is this big dish of stuff that's being made into all the planets and moons in the solar system yeah and so you can imagine that a comet might get thrown out into space. Mm. And as, it, as this accretion disk spins around in the early years of yeah, the formation, you yeah. can imagine that it might get thrown out of the yeah. orbit of the so, so The ones that are furthest away yeah. from the centre are going to be held less strongly. Yes. And they might escape. Quite. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, if that's true, which it suggests very strongly that it is, then uh, it, it, by studying it, which we can do because we took an awful lot of data from it and Hubble most recently looked at it in the early part of this year um, we can learn a lot about the formation of solar systems outside of our own solar system by studying mm. this and if it happens again something else like it. What I would say mm-hmm. is that um, anyone who's read uh, Arthur C. Clarke's novel Um, rendezvous with Rama will know that in the early part of that story where a big cigar-like thing enters the solar system, they think that it's an asteroid. Then they start thinking it's a comet because it's behaving a bit differently. It turns out it's a massive spaceship. So I'm not saying it's aliens. But there be. was a lot of chatter about that, wasn't, yeah. there, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, when this one came, yes. the Muamua, yeah. and, and people thought... That, that, that. It was interesting how the press handled it, because, uh, you know, day, day one, it's, oh, this strange thing has come. Day yeah. two, it was, well, what is this strange thing? Yeah. Then day three was, maybe it's aliens. Do you think <laughs> it's aliens? Well, we can't say for sure that it isn't aliens. But, <laughs> well, it could be aliens. Yes, yeah. it could. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. But um, it's gone. And so what, when... what. What I find fascinating about this is 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 this thing has gone now this yeah. this this what we now think is a comet but um why is it why are we talking about it now in other, in other words is this something to do with the data analysis delay yes yes yeah so we're getting so much information well i take yeah and it t- obviously takes a while to study the data yeah. and run the numbers and yeah. run the, the yeah. simulations and work out what's yeah. what's doing it and that's and then obviously there's the process of um peer review and everything yeah, and checks. It, and yeah the, the various ways we try and make sense of, yeah. the, of the data yeah. um and so it could be that more will come out yes absolutely there's been a lot as i say there's a lot of data was collected from it. We'd, fortunately, we caught it quite early as it came in, so we managed to catch 
catch it and view it with lots of different telescopes, lots of different types of telescopes. And as I say, most recently Hubble viewed it in the uh, early part of this year as it was scooching out off outs- outside our uh, solar system. So, yeah, there's been data until the early part of this year gathered from it and uh, we'll no doubt find out more as the year goes on. Um, so the next story we've got up here on love and science, uh, which is uh, another astronomical story is all about the moon Enceladus, which I think is a, one of Saturn's moons. It is. It? And it's, um, uh, if you look at the different moons of, uh, of Jupiter, uh, particularly, and of uh, Saturn, they're all different. Yes. They're, they're all... Um, in, well, I was, I was going to say more interesting than the planets themselves. That's not, I didn't mean that. That's not true at all. But they are incredibly interesting because they're so varied. And this one, mm-hmm. I think I'm right in saying, just looks like a huge, smooth ice ball from a distance. From a distance, yes. Yeah. yeah. And now we've got a lot closer to it because we got closer to it because, uh, most notably, because of the Cassini spacecraft, yes. which is now... Uh, crashed into Saturn because yep. it's deliberately crashed into <laughs> Saturn uh, to end its uh, life, yep. and we found out a lot more about Saturn. Um, what did it find out then about Enceladus? Well, so many things, right? Uh-huh. But there's one particular thing which has just come out the last week. Um, essentially, well, it's, as you say, when you look at it from a distance, it seems like a smooth ball. When you get closer, you can see that it's um, it's got sort of blue tiger stripes in it. And um, other fissures and sort of crater-looking things on it. And it turns out <clears throat> that we knew, this isn't the news bit, we already knew, um, that it's underneath it is, uh, this, this surface of ice is an ocean of water. And, and it is water. <clears throat> it is water. It's water, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And uh, one of the um, things that uh, we know about life on this planet is, of course, that water is very useful if you're trying to mm. start life on a yeah. planet yeah. with our sample size of one. We know <laughs> that um, if you're going to start life on a planet, then water is a good place to start it. Yeah. Um, what also you need is complex carbon-based molecules from which to make that life. Now, what Cassini's found is that among the water and uh, on, on, in Enceladus, which spurts out into space through um, geysers, really, geysers yeah. on the surface, throwing yeah. this water out into space. Cassini, and we've seen those, haven't we? We've seen, seen pictures yeah. of those, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Cassini gathered material from those geysers and found that in fact there are complex carbon-based molecules in Saturn's moon Enceladus. Now what the scientists are saying is that doesn't mean that there's life but this is they are a necessary precursor to life. So if you're going to have life you have to have these complex carbon molecules as as far as we know life as we know it yeah jim sorry malcolm and uh, <laughs> and um we don't know whether the signs that we're getting that tell us that these uh, complex um, molecules are there are because um of biology there there or if it's just some sort of reaction between rock and the water and um, or indeed if these molecules that we're seeing are in fact in themselves life we don't know that yet and we need to send a spacecraft to find out 
Yeah, so, so there is, there is a, a, a list of things. Um, there's a Dr. Postberg in the uh, BBC story that we've uh, read, uh, Dr. Frank Postberg, who's been uh, writing, uh, uh, writing all this uh, research up. And um, uh, in the story, it makes the point, just as Andrew has, liquid water is necessary. Of course, you need energy. Well, Enceladus has got energy in abundance. Um, it's coming from somewhere inside the moon. Uh, so it seems to be quite um, geologically active, so yeah. maybe volcanoes and that, that sort of thing sure. uh, going on. Otherwise, why would that water be liquid? Yes. Uh, yeah, true. Um, uh, and there's also, I think I'm writing, saying, isn't there, because it's uh, orbiting Saturn, which is a big planet, um, as, it, as it moves in the orbit, doesn't it stretch? Yes, it does. And and uh, contracts yes. and it gets fatter and or it gets bent. It's like yeah. a like a tennis ball, yeah. topically yes. being bent. Yes, and it that is. in itself makes for a lot of energy, doesn't it? It does, and could well be the cause of, uh, well, partially at least, the cause of the liquid ocean. Uh, yeah. So that the ice isn't just ice out there in space, because it's pretty cold where it is in yeah, space. Yeah. Uh, so it does need a bit of energy. Yeah, to it's make a long it way to, from the sun yeah, compared absolutely. to us, anyway. So that friction, effectively, yeah. causes this yeah. this water to slosh around yeah. inside the moon. Wouldn't be a good place to buy a house, though, would it? Um, no, wouldn't be. Uh, maybe mm. a maybe a submarine would be all right. Yeah, as far as we can yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I can't help but think, right, that if there were. If the water has got organic molecules in it, right, it doesn't. It could be hydrothermal vents. It could be hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean there. Yeah. And that, to the best of our knowledge, is highly likely where life first started on yes. our planet. Well, on, on, yes, on our own planet, there's, extre- there's these extremophile tubule things, aren't yeah. they, which they think are about a billion years old. Yeah. And what they love to do is eat... Um, uh, sulfur dioxide and all hydrogen sulfide and th- horrible gases like that coming off of absolutely uh, uh, the the vents yeah. yeah um and anyway it's an incredible discovery um it, it it's i do you know what i don't know how you feel about this malcolm but we talk about life or, or on other planets and moons quite a lot these days when yeah. i was growing up you seemed a bit crazy if you talked yeah, about yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff these days it seems to be like it's only a matter of time before we find it do you do you feel like that i do but i you know i am baffled by what they call the fermi paradox paradox mm. which is in theory there should be an awful lot of life out there and so far it's definitely quiet yeah so if we assume that there must be millions of civilizations, given the numbers of planets that could support life out there, we our guess is there should be millions of planets um, where intelligent life has evolved. So not just life, but intelligent life. And of those, there still would be millions of planets that uh, had the capacity to space travel like we do, uh, maybe much better than we do, and be able to transmit radio waves or yeah. television waves or something and be, we haven't heard a thing and no. that so i i oscillate between thinking yeah there must be life out there um i still think there must be life out there but i do sometimes wonder whether we're the only quotes intelligent yeah. life apart from the crows right apart from the crows yeah. yes yes yeah. discussed. i mean i mean life on this planet you know yeah. representing intelligent life yeah i 
Yes, yeah, so the Fermi paradox seems to me to be fairly simply answered by um, many different things, but you could simply answer it by, you don't if you know this, but space is big, <laughs> really, really big. And the distances that you have to travel or indeed send your messages out before you intercept another planet from our planet is uh, it's so huge and we've only been sending out things into space since the 1950s so it's, it's 70 years yeah. or so in in the time frame of the universe it's yeah. a blink of an eye yeah. and we are the only life on this planet that does it and i think it's a very very small definition of intelligence hmm. to say that it would send out radio or mm. tv signals yeah fair enough and or indeed a space. I mean, dinosaurs lived on this planet for so much longer than we did, and yes. they famously didn't have a space program. <laughs> as far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going ha- to have to move on, but exciting news that there has, uh, they've, they've discovered organic compounds, so things like methane, that sort of thing, on uh, Enceladus. And that's, that's very, very hopeful, as you can tell from our conversation. So um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had a, a problem in, uh, with the server, and... And uh, that means for us that uh, nobody was able to uh, download uh, the the program from a couple of weeks ago, or rather, sorry, stream the program from uh, BCFM. Uh, radio.com uh, where you can still where you can in fact today go and uh, download lots of uh, excellent programs from uh, BCFM including ours Love and Science and you can go back uh, many 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 weeks uh, but you couldn't do it a couple of weeks ago and uh, we had an interview uh, with somebody called uh, Achincha Rayo uh, from CERN and Andrew did this interview so if you can pick that up. Yeah sure so uh, a couple of weeks ago they started uh, um, the work on the upgrade at CERN, the Large Hadron Collider, and uh, there's some extra work going on. And I began by asking Achintia what it is that they were going to be looking for with the upgraded CERN's Large Hadron Collider. It's going to be looking for more of the same. So the LHC will still operate at the energies it has been operating at for the last couple of years, which is 13 tera electron volts, 13 TeV. Uh, the energy is not going to be upgraded. What is going to be upgraded is the number of collisions taking place per unit time. Um, and what that does is it, it helps the physicists working on, on the experiments themselves to probe phenomena a lot faster than they would if you got data at a slow rate. So particle physics is a game of statistics. When two protons collide in the LHC, it can produce one of any number of things from a suite of, of probabilities. So you can you can maybe produce a Higgs boson, or you can produce um, a particle of dark matter, which we haven't observed yet. But all of these things are governed by probabilities, and there and the probability of producing something exciting, something interesting, something new that has never been observed before is extremely low. Okay, so if you have trillions of proton collisions, uh, you know, of them about a few hundred will show you signs of a Higgs boson, right? So you need to really have a large number of collisions. Uh, over time in order to discriminate your signal from your background. So what the HLLHC does is it helps us look for, well, the same things that we've been looking for in the last few years, but provides us, it kind of turns up the, the fire hose to like, to inundate us essentially with data. I'm concerned about the amount of data you're going to be producing because you already produce more than you can cope with, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of produce more than we can cope with, which is a known fact. So uh, what happens at the LHC is... 
the, the machine, the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, collides protons. Uh, and then the debris of those collisions are recorded by these gigantic particle detectors, which sort of measure what has happened. They detect the particles that were produced in the collision. They measure their energies, their momentum, and so forth. Now, the thing is, um, most of the collisions that take place are not producing interesting things. They've been producing physics that has been known of for a long time. So these rare phenomena that we're looking for makes our job easy in the sense that we can afford to throw away the known phenomena. Once you've understood the behavior of your machine, of your detectors, you can then stop throwing away those data and only look in the sort of brackets of where you expect something interesting to emerge. So yes, we're going to produce more data, but we're going to have to be more discriminating in what we store. But also the detectors are going to have to cope with this, this fire hose being turned up because the detectors will suddenly have five to ten times as many particles flying through them as fly through them right now. But that also means that those rare events, those things that take place once every billion occurrences, um, once every billion proton collisions, we'll have more of those billions of proton collisions. And so if the things exist, we will see them a lot earlier than we would. So does this mean that basically for the next few years we, we shouldn't expect any news out of the Large Hadron Collider. I don't want to make promises because uh, new physics could be around the corner uh, within the next few years as well. Uh, the thing is that these are long-term explorations. Every few years we, we take a, you know, you, you keep walking, but every few years you discover something new and it's very hard to predict what, what, what might be on the horizon. We have very good reason to believe that there is new stuff out there because our existing models that explain pretty much everything in the known universe on the level of particles is incomplete. So the standard model of particle physics, for example, tells us that neutrinos should not have masses. But we know that neutrinos have a mass, and we haven't found an explanation for that. That's just one of you know many problems that we haven't been able to solve theoretically, and we need a new door to open experimentally. So maybe we find something before the HLLHC switched on, but if there is new phenomena out there, and we know there should be, the HLLHC will give us a better ability to identify its presence. But in, in the interim, the LHC is still operating. It's operating right now. It hasn't been switched off until 2026. The LHC is operating right now and will continue to operate um, for a few more years in its current configuration. Now, the LHC every year is switched off for a couple of months for doing your annual maintenance uh, and checkups. But every three to four years or so, the entire accelerator complex at CERN is switched off for doing large-scale maintenance and upgrades and replacing components that need replacing and so forth. So at the end of this year, we are going to enter the second long shutdown of the LHC's lifespan. We'll come back from that in 2021, run for another three years, uh, and then 2024, 2025 will be long shutdown three. And when we come back from that in 2026, that's when the upgraded LHC will switch on. So we're still going to have another data collection period after LS2, so from 2021 onwards at the same energy and the same uh, luminosity that we've been getting. Maybe, you know, slightly higher luminosity, but not significantly higher luminosity. Uh, and those data will continue to be analyzed for a long time to come. And is, is dark matter lurking in that data somewhere? I would like to think so, but uh, it's not something that any of us will know. Yeah, for your listeners who aren't familiar, dark matter is this, is this hypothesized material that pervades the universe that makes up about 25% thereabouts of the, of the, uh, of the known universe. And we haven't seen it. And the reason it is it was hypothesized is because the way in which galaxies rotate, if you account for all the matter in the stars present in those galaxies, 
you're not rotating correctly. There has to be a lot more mass in order to justify the, 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 the speeds at which these galaxies are rotating. And so we can't see those, see that matter. It's not, it doesn't interact with light. It doesn't interact with photons. It has been dubbed dark matter. And indeed, there is a, a, a model of physics that has been proposed that is known as supersymmetry, which hypothesizes the existence of a dark matter candidate as well. So they're looking for them. They've been looking for them for a few years. And we're all keeping our fingers crossed that we find something that points us in that direction. But with explorations, there's no way of being definitive and saying, oh, it's there, we're going to find it. It, it might be there. We hope that it is there. That was uh, uh, Chincha Rao uh, talking to Andrew. And this is Third Eye Blind. A car on fire. Car on, oh, on the camera. Science behind the news. Uh, next story is a is a bit of a sad one. We're doing a bit of spacey stuff, but uh, this one is much closer to home. And uh, um, Andrew, I was driving up uh, to uh, Lancaster over the weekend, as oh, one does. Yeah. And um, there was a, a, a burned out a car on fire on the other carriageway on the way up. Yeah. And on the way back, I think we were delayed. It took us like an, an hour and a half to go four miles at one point uh, because there was a burned out, there was a car. You could clearly see the remains of a burned out car on, okay. the, on the carriageway. Um, so it is definitely the season for car fires and all of that sort of yeah. thing. But uh, Saddleworth Moor has been uh, ablaze now for quite a while and... Uh, the story that I was looking at said that seven square miles have been affected. It's more than that now. And we think, well, you know, this is disastrous. We don't, you know, we, we don't like to see all this scorched land and everything. But, of course, it has a profound effect on, on wildlife. Sure does. And uh, the RSPB have been saying that um, this is quite disastrous because we're right in the middle of bird breeding season. So, first off, ground nesting birds have been... Uh, inevitably affected. Um, you could uh, one one of the uh, people, a chap called David Hunt from the Upland Conservation uh, uh, Organisation, said that um, you could potentially still have birds on eggs, although it's starting to get quite late. Some smaller birds might be on second clutches, but all of that, of course, where the land is burned is is lost. Um, the RSPB's Dovestone site is home to an internationally important population of wading birds, uh, including curlews and golden plovers and lapwings, uh, and, of course, they are badly affected. That's just the birds. Mm. Uh, the article goes on to talk about uh, other creatures like rabbits and hares and so on and um, uh, small animals could suffocate like voles uh, which uh, maybe some of them uh, can burrow deep enough to escape worst of the heat but they still lose out on the oxygen so it's a really really sad uh, uh, story and there's nothing to be done we just have to try be vigilant not to uh, create fires but uh, it's, it's important that we're all aware of uh, the damages far beyond just what it looks like mm. and it, it's 
kind of carry on as well because obviously that um, habitat has been destroyed so for a while afterwards there's going to be yeah. knock-on impacts for animals that rely on the on, on the habitat that's, that that won't be there for some time yeah yeah i mean these things happen the fires fires like this do happen and we know from australia there are certain plants that need yeah. fires and so on yeah. so it's very very complicated yeah. Uh, but it is uh, it is a bit of a, a disaster. It is. Yeah. I, it's because um, I'm from Manchester and I occasionally go back and I have friends there and everybody says that the whole of Manchester smells of smoke at the moment. Cause really? Is, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, um, let's go on to something a little bit happier, but um, science fiction-y kind of. So Andrew will love this. This is all about uh, SpaceX, which is the private... Uh, company putting rockets out into uh, out into space um, and AI. What's uh, what's the story here? So um, SpaceX launched uh, as they regularly do these days. Launched a payload up to the International Space Station for the astronauts to to use. There's uh, a selection of scientific experiments on there and things as they do on the International Space Station. And one of the things that's been sent up is an artificial intelligence robot. Uh-huh. Um, an artificial intelligence crew member, if you like. So its and it, name and he's round, isn't he? It is. Yes. Yeah. Is it? I mean, is it spherical or? I'm saying it. Is that rude? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It's sort of nearly round. So it's it's about if you I think if you're about the size of a volleyball or a basketball. Right. Or okay. Maybe a bit. Yeah, they're different sizes, aren't they? But yeah, yeah about that size. And then one side of it has a screen, so that's a flat screen on one side with a with a face on it, and uh, it's called Simon. That's Crew Interactive Mobile Companion. It, Simon's in there somewhere, <laughs> but uh, it's a soft C at the start. And um, oh, Simon with a C. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Simon, I would have said. Yes. But anyway, Simon. Yes. It is. Yes. And uh, it's it's learned or it's been taught how to respond to Alexander Gerst, who's uh, one of the German space agency. Um, uh, European Space Agency, German-based uh, astronauts who's up there. And it's going to help him do experiments. And it has fans inside it which can suck air into it and then send that air out again as a propellant. So it will actually be floating around in in space, in the yeah. International Space Station. Yeah. And uh, if, uh, if Alexander Geist calls it, then it will scoot over towards him through um through the space around him but what i mean what does it do i mean does it repair things or no uh, it doesn't have yeah, any make, arms make, you're, you're make. thinking of lost in space <laughs> this isn't lost in space this is the international space station it's not quite at so, that level yet. so what's its use then does it, just it give, give advice or like say comforting th- words or it's what? it's it's a bit like Alexa, right? Yeah. Or Siri or something like that. Oh, right. But it's specifically there to help with um, complex scientific experiments that he's going to be doing there. Yeah. And he's testing it out, really. The reason that they're doing this is this is an early uh, prototype for this kind of thing, right? Yeah. The idea is that when astronauts go further out into space and do further uh, uh, exploration, then they don't want to take a huge crew with them. But you can take the sum of human knowledge with you if you take an artificial intelligence robot with you. So if you needed to do something, you were a fully trained astronaut, yeah. but you didn't know the procedure for something, uh, then you could have this robot floating Simon over your shoulder. Simon knows. Simon says. Simon says, yeah. yeah. Um, so Simon okay. would be floating over your shoulder and you could see 
He's say, going, no, you don't want to do that. Yeah, don't yeah. do it like that. And he's got a nice smiley face. He looks all right. <laughs> he looks slightly less scary than the uh, robot in Lost in Space, but slightly less useful. Anyway, it's awesome. Um, I recommend Googling Simon with a C and having a look at this this actual artificial intelligence robot floating around in the International Space Station right now. Sounds very good to me. Now, um, we are uh, joined by... Um, John, who's uh, uh, going to be getting Bristol home. John Ford after the uh, after the news, and uh, it's always good to see you, John. How are you? Lovely to see you too. You a bit hot? Uh, yeah, there you go. Sorry, I faded you up. There. You never I, failed to turn me on. It's quite. De- <laughs> <laughs> it's quite deliberate. That. <laughs> it's my wife says that. <laughs> yes, I'm very well, thank you. Are you enjoying the heat? Uh, well, I am. I am enjoying it, but, yeah, uh, but I, I like it. it to be relatively limited, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I wish it could go on. I mean, this is another... I'm old enough to remember, as you are, 1976. Yeah. Oh, well, yes. Do you remember 1976? I, I do. Do you remember 1976? I don't know. I was born in 1976. Were my, you really? My mum often reminds me that it was the hottest year on record. What time of the year were you born? Uh, just last week, June the 24th. Oh, really? Well, yeah. belated happy birthday. Thanks very much. Well, she must have been suffering back then, because yeah. it, was, it was really hot, yeah. wasn't my, it? Yeah, my, it was... my dad drank all the water in the delivery yeah. room, because he was hot. <laughs> <laughs> As scientists, can you answer me a question? Why, have I, why am I seeing so many bats, not just during the night flying around you know, twilight when it's lovely to see them around but i had one in my sort of office study room during the day a couple of weeks ago i posted a picture online actually right. and it just hit the window i don't know where it was in the house already it was a completely sealed room it was before that i had the window open yeah uh, so i don't know how it got in there it must have got in through a, a window another window or something but this morning i saw another bat tiny little thing uh, but it, unfortunately it was dead and it was just outside the um, the, the back door on the sort of patio area there it was just Oh, it wow. hadn't been mutilated by any a cat or anything. Not that a cat would catch a bat, I don't suppose. No. But yeah, so and other people. I are mean, saying they do. They bats, do have yeah. trouble coping with the heat. Yeah, bats do because mm. they 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 like caves and uh, things like that. So maybe it's hanging out yeah. in your house. I know there are bats. And our neighbour's got them in, in the roof space there. So yeah. uh, and I know they're protected. And yeah. uh, you know the local bat lady has been round to. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll try. We're, finger, yeah. That's but a good thing. We'll quite a few bats out. around. Yeah I, yeah, I just wondered if you. you yeah. Know, yeah. You want to know what happened on this day in history Indeed. from a science point of view? Well, this day in 1922, um, a day before his 19th birthday, Ralph Samuelson became the first person to ride on water skis that he made. <laughs> Two days. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I would have thought they were earlier that, but 1922, yeah. Yeah, he, it, is, he, it is a bit Yeah, he, yeah. he'd used uh, staves from barrels before that. Um, yeah. They didn't work very well, so he got some planks and just folded them up. He sort of um, heated them up and just sort of warped them at the very end. Yeah. And uh, he invented water skis, effectively. I suppose for yeah. water skis, of course, you're going to need a, a fast boat, aren't you? Yes. You're going to need a boat with a motor that's going to move fast yeah. enough to get you in. And this day in 1900, the first directed flight of a Zeppelin was made in Germany. It was the LZ-1. First rigid airship to use large internal metal frame containing multiple cells of hydrogen gas. Mm. Very, very dangerous. Not a great idea. Invented by um, Ferdinand Graf von Zeppelin, of course. Of course. Flew for about 18 minutes on this day in 1900. 
Wow, that is incredible. Yeah. Well, what I, was the famous one that um, Led Zeppelin? Hindenburg, wasn't it? Yes, it was the Hindenburg. Yes, and you've got that terrible footage, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's awful. People, you know, because because it was a grand thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was a huge media event. I don't know why they didn't ask because it's such a gentle thing to see flying through the air. Yeah, why they stopped Yeah, we should bring him back. Yeah, yeah, we'll fill them with helium or something. Yeah, there is a science fiction series, isn't there, called Fringe. And in and in Fringe, there's an alternative universe. They keep popping backwards and forwards to the alternative universe. Right. And in Fringe, you can tell that you're in the alternative universe because people travel not by plane but by, uh, by Zeppelin. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I didn't know this. Yeah. Well, well, that's they, what ah. I'm doing now. I'm going to go and. Well, is it on telly or is it? Uh, I don't know where you could get. Well, they don't go very. F- they don't go very fast, do they? Not not as fast as those uh, new supersonic jets I was reading about the other day, which can get to New York in two hours. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. Boeing something. Yeah. Have you covered that? Yeah. 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 Take, you have to take a few weeks off, don't you? Really? <laughs> anyway, that's it. It's been fantastic to have your company. So, from Andrew Glester and meet Malcolm Love. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, join us next week for another edition of Love and Science. Stay tuned after the, the news. Uh, for John Ford getting Bristol home. Uh, have yourselves a very nice evening. Love and science.